listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Please be seated. Thank you to our worship team and everyone else that's here today serving, helping us engage with the Word of God. Okay, just to um, go to part two from last week where I never got to actually deliver what I prepared. Um, so we're going to talk about Acts 10. And the, the, um, I want to talk to you about how to hear God's voice. There are many great books out there that, are, that can help you with hearing God's voice in more detail. So I won't be able to actually cover all, every aspect of that in 40 minutes. Um, but I want to just use Acts 10 as a, a foundation just to help us to navigate when God speaks to us. What I like when I read through the scriptures, when I through history and through the the letters of the New Testament and the Old Testament and the books and the, the you know all the all the Word of God, it's amazing that God can speak to people when they want when they're in a posture for Him to speak, like prayer. Many times when you when God speaks and He turns up in somebody's life in the Bible, it's either in a posture of prayer, but then on the other side of the coin, it's amazing that God can speak when you're not even in a posture of being interested in God at all. And so. It's fascinating to me that when God decides, when he wants to speak to us, he will get our attention. And he knows how to speak to you, your personality. He knows how to get your attention. And he knows how to make sure that you'll hear his voice. So when you become a Christian, you come and you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you get connected back to God. It, it, something happens within you that you can hear God's voice. And somehow he speaks to you in a way that you know that you know that you know that it's God. Other times on your journey, you're not quite sure if it's the Lord. And uh, I think from, from my own experience, when I first became a Christian, it was amazing that I could hear God so clearly. In fact, there were so many things that happened that I just knew it was God. Like, I, you know, one time I heard an audible voice. Another time I had a vision. Another time I had a dream. It was just like unbelievable. And the more that I've walked with the Lord, the less really that's happened to me. It's not as though it's a guessing game. It's like when you first become a Christian, God holds your hand like you do with your children. And you're so close to them and you can talk to them every step of the way. But as you grow up, it's interesting when you speak to your teenagers, they don't want to hold your hand anymore. In fact, they don't even want to go on holiday with you anymore. And what happens is when you grow in the Lord, it seems like God moves away from you and his voice goes further away. But actually, he's trusting you that you know enough about him that you can begin to walk and stand on your own two feet. And the more that you get into the word of God, understand his character, understand his nature, understand his workings, the more that he, could, he will be able to stand back and let you navigate your life and knowing his character, knowing his word, and then at times when needed, he will just come into your life with a revelation, an appearance, something that will make it very clear to you 
that you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing just to help you back on track. And so, but there are various ways that God will speak. And the main way that God speaks to us is through the word of God. That's our foundation. That's our bedrock. When we've got no vision, when we've got no dreams, when we've got no prophecies, when we've got, we've got no encounters, we've always got the word. Amen? And that's why you need to actually be a serious student of the Bible. Because if you want to get to know God and his purpose and his ways, then the only way you're going to do that is by reading what he's provided for us over these many, many years of inspiring people to write history and events and somehow compile them in a book through scholars and councils. And it's amazing how the word of God has got to us, Old Testament and New Testament. And all that God wanted us to know was in that book. But let me just say, not everything about God is in that book. You can't put God in one book. There is more to know about God, but he in his wisdom says you don't need to know that much about me. All I want you to know is first of all a plan of a relationship back with me, salvation and the way to live to honour me and to, and to honour others. And in that book there's enough content and revelation that we can do that well till he comes back. And then we'll have the rest of eternity to get to know him and we'll never, eternity is not enough time to know who God is fully. And so I want to say to you that as you learn and to, to listen to God's voice, it's really important for you to understand that there are times when we may think we've heard God's voice and it might not be that we have. But that's okay. As long as we walk in humility, as long as we walk thinking that, well, I've walked with God so many years now and I always get it right and I always know it's God speaking to me, I want to tell you there's times in our life when we're not quite sure. All we know is, does this look like God? Is it honouring his nature and his character? Is it aligning up with the principles in the word? That's all you can navigate at times, and you can't be fully 100% sure until you take, keep taking steps of faith, trusting that God will navigate, lead you, shut the door if it needs to be, and opens it if not. So it's not uh, one thing, you've sussed it out, I hear God so much. You know, you need to be worried around people if they hear God every five minutes. You're not that important for God to speak to you every five minutes. I get worried when people keep telling me every time, the Lord's told me, the Lord's told me, I'm thinking, well, he doesn't talk to me anymore like that. He must have fallen out with me. So... You learn to know and discern God's voice and enough wisdom to know his ways and what he wants you to do and what he doesn't want you to do. And when you read Acts 10, I'm going to read it to you now, it's about, in the, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He was in a posture of communicating with God. He became hungry and wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Here's some other ways that God communicates. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything pure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And after the third time, the sheet went back up to heaven. So here, here is Peter now, an amazing apostle, 
preached great sermons, seen many people come to Christ, and probably about nine or ten years after the day of Pentecost, he's finding himself at Tanner's house, a friend of his who's giving him hospitality, and there by the sea he's praying, and then all of a sudden God interrupts his prayer life. And God speaks to him, but it's not familiar to Peter. Because Peter resisted God at that moment when God said to him, Peter, I want you to get up, he said to him, and I want you to go kill and eat. Now you have to understand that when Peter, by Jewish custom, would always be committed to the Jewish law about certain foods that they couldn't eat. So here now he's confused because now God is telling him to eat something that he told him not to eat in the Old Covenant. Is God contradicting himself? Or is God just fulfilling something that he came to do? He said, many times, if you think you've got God sussed, you're going to be in trouble. Because we react to when God speaks to us and we think, hold on a minute, Lord. Surely I have never eaten anything unclean. This can't be you. I would have said that, wouldn't you? I would have stuck to the word of God in the Old Covenant and go, Lord, you told us in Leviticus that we shouldn't eat these unclean animals. And now this voice, this voice, this vision, I am not sure it's from God. Surely not, Lord. And so for us, it's important that we understand to discern God's voice because sometimes when God speaks to you, you might be resisting the very voice that wants to help you because we think we've got God sorted out. God said to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, we, we know that God wasn't speaking to him about food. He was speaking to him about people who the Jews thought was unclean. The Gentiles were unclean. And so God was speaking to an unclean Gentile just before Peter had this revelation, and he was on his way to his house, where Peter then would encounter the presence of God, the power of God, and bring salvation to the house of the Gentiles, and then it would be open to the rest of the world. And so God was already speaking to an unclean person, and Peter said, there's no way, Lord, that I'm going to eat. And just on the context of food, because again, throughout my years of ministry, even the issue of what can we eat now, as believers and, you know, shall we eat pork and what is unclean? And, and, and so, so, so Paul, in the New Testament, clarifies the issue about food. He said, listen, all food is fine. It's from the Lord. But you, you have to choose your conscience of what you eat. If you want to eat vegetables, cool. If you want to eat meat, cool. But listen, when you do that, make sure that in your relationships with people, you're not, uh, you're not helping people stumble because of your freedom. So he, he, let me just explain this because I'm just going off on a little tangent. If I come to your house and you are a vegetarian, and, but you have a problem with, with people eating meat in front of you. Now I'm free to eat meat. I, you know, food doesn't get you closer to God. You do know that, don't you? See, in the Old Testament, they thought by, re, by obeying the law of God, that would get them closer to God. In fact, God was trying to help them be a different people to the pagans who ate stuff to be a separate people. Now we have the Holy Spirit who our life now should be different to the world. It's not about what you eat, it's how you live. And so I come to your home and I know that you'd be offended if I bring steak. 
But because I don't want to offend you or be a stumbling block to you, I won't eat meat. I want to I show respect and love to you. I, I ain't offended, but when I leave your house, I'm going to have a Big Mac. <laughs> so what Paul is saying here is like, maturity is really important. He says when you drink wine, you know, listen, if people are offended, if they, if they drink, I don't drink, but if people offer me a glass of wine, I'll have a sip because I want to be respectful. And so Paul is saying, look, please, please don't use your freedom to help people to stumble. So maturity says, I'm going to live my life for the benefit of you, but I still have my freedom. Now, if I come to your house and you tell me that I can't have and I'm only having a salad, I won't be coming back to your house. I'll do it once or twice. I'll go the extra mile. So Paul is saying, listen, you know, it's very clear that food doesn't get you close to God. It's clear in Scripture, New Testament is. So he wasn't talking about food, even though we can have freedom. And by the way, if you don't want to eat pork or black pudding, and cool, but don't tell me not to eat it. By, because let me just also help you. By abstaining from that food does not get you closer to Jesus. See, that's the whole point. But if you have a conviction, great. But don't think that conviction is going to get closer to God. Because Jesus paid the price by his blood that gets us closer to God. It's not by works. Amen? So I just thought I would deal with a food issue. Because in church life, there has been a few fights about what you should eat, what you can't eat, and also about Sabbath days, and just stick to, but actually Sabbath is Saturday. But actually, Jesus said the Sabbath is any day you have a rest, because it's for you, it's not made, it's not made to control you. It's interesting to know when we look about the Old Testament laws and how they are applicable today, and so you need to understand, to know, to look at Jesus and see what he actually implements to our life. So Peter struggles with hearing God's voice. And so God is trying to get his attention. Peter, I want you to understand that there's somebody going to come and knock on your door and you are going to count them as unclean. And if I don't change your thinking, if I don't change your, your theology, you're never going to be able to advance in the things that I want you to do for me. And so what I am not saying is that God will not tell you to do something outside of his word, his principles. But here's the other challenge that we've got is that, you know, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. And unless you get into the Bible and be study of the Bible and make sure that you're reading the context of the Scriptures, that you're looking at why it was written and who it was written and how that's applied to us, then if you don't do that, you can take a Scripture out of context and make it a pretext and you can mess people's lives up and your own. Because you can use any Scripture to back up your behaviour. So here's, the, here's a few clues for you. Scripture interprets Scripture. So the best thing to actually back up if God is saying is it, where else does it say it in the Bible? And is God like that? Is it matching God's character? Because there's some little guidelines for us that we don't go off on a tangent. And so the Holy Spirit speaks outside of Scripture, but when he speaks to you, he won't be adding new to the Scripture we have to be very careful that God gives you a new revelation that, this, that just totally rejects half the New Testament. That's not Jesus. That's not God. And yet, when we think about Jesus changing some of the Old Covenant, it wasn't because he didn't honour it, he just fulfilled it. 
because some of the Old Testament commands continued through the cross and some of them stopped at the cross. Sacrifices no longer needed after Jesus died on the cross, so they stopped at the cross. Food, and the only reason that in New Testament that they would be concerned about food is if it was sacrificed to idols. That was the only restriction. Even circumcision wasn't an issue. By the Jews in the New Testament, was fighting about, you've got it, to be saved, you need to be circumcised. And they had a council meeting and go, no, no, it's, you, you can't get justified by being circumcised. You have to get circumcised in the heart by the Holy Spirit. So you have to have wisdom and understanding of what is God saying to us that we don't actually discredit the Word of God. Because you can make the Bible say what you want, even to do when we, let me just give you a little bit of how to do this, because if you don't, we're going to get messed up, and the church is messed up in some areas. So when you look at 1 Timothy, and the Apostle Paul lists out the qualifications of elders and deacons, it starts by saying that a man will be married and he'll have children, and the children must behave. And so what has happened, that people have looked at the context of when they speak about elders and deacons and they speak about that he must be married to one woman and he must have children that obey him, he must not be a recent convert, people have taken that passage and said, oh, that's what Paul was saying, that women can't be in leadership. Now, if you don't read the whole Bible and look at God's nature, you'll believe that and get robbed of God's purpose on your life. How do I know that? By reading the Bible. Because when you, because I was speaking to somebody, actually this was a pastoral issue a few years ago, that somebody had a problem with us appointing uh, elders and deacons who were female. And I said, well, where do, you get, where do you get that? And he brought 1 Timothy up. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, so are you actually saying that you believe that Paul wrote that so he could make sure that only men could be elders and deacons? Is that the, that's the real reason why he wrote it? Yeah, absolutely. I said, okay. So if we go by the, the criteria of 1 Timothy then, of uh, uh, someone being an elder, not only has he got to be a man, he's got to be a married man. And not only has he got to be a married man, he's got to have kids. And not only has he got to have kids, them kids better behave themselves. So nobody's going to be elders. And so I said, well, what do you think about that? He went, oh. So I said, Paul wasn't writing for that reason. He was writing that if you're going to be an elder or a deacon, anyone who wants to have a noble task must manage his household well, or the person, read the scriptures, must manage the household well. And I also said this. I said, if you're saying that the Apostle Paul wrote the qualifications of eldership only to male, then anywhere else that the Apostle Paul will talk about an elder or a deacon, he would never mention that person as a female. Would you agree? He went, absolutely. I said, okay, turn to your Bible. Romans chapter 16. I said, are you sure now you agree with me? If Paul was making a statement that women cannot be deacons or elders, then there's no way in the world that Paul would endorse a deacon or a leader as a female. Would you agree? When absolutely, it's, it's in 1 Timothy. They should be male. I said, great. I said, open your Bible. I said, look at Romans 16. And I said, are you ready for this? He said, absolutely. I said, okay then. Romans 16. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a deacon in the church. 
Not many claps in the room. Because some of you have never even read this chapter. I asked you to receive her, her to make sure that is female, she's female, her in the Lord, in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. And I said, by the way, if you want to keep reading chapter 16, there is only nine other ladies that Paul mentions in context of ministry, one being an apostle and the other being a teacher. So what are you going to do with that? Greet Andreas and Juna, man and wife. They were apostles. Paul said that. My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. They were, more in, they were there before in Christ before I was. Man and wife, apostles. Let's go to someone who was a teacher. Are you ready for this? I don't know why I'm preaching this today. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in Acts. It was Aquila and a Priscilla. Aquila was the male and Priscilla was the woman. But here's the interesting thing in Scripture. When they put the first name there, it's the one that's mostly leading a ministry. And so he said, Let, let's greet Priscilla, who was the main teacher in that couple, my co-workers in Christ. And if you read Acts 18, they led Apollos in the baptism of the Spirit because they, this was a man learned, a teacher, a great communicator. And when they listened to him, they took him to the house and they led him more in the ways of the Lord. So after I finished, I said, what do you think about that? And he just went back to his old ways and he couldn't receive revelation and understanding from the scriptures and then left the church. It was a moment when God spoke to him but he couldn't renew his religion and tradition and culture because many of us when we come to the scriptures we bring our culture our tradition and what we've been taught from other people. And we never think for ourselves and get the scriptures into our own lives. And we filter everything for what we've been taught all our life. And sometimes it's not biblical. So you have to be good stewards of the Bible. And you come to the Bible with the answer, what does it really say? And who was it really meant for? And how can I apply that to my life without making it mean what I really want to mean? See, in the same way in our world right now, the church is in some kind of crisis because of shifting their traditional beliefs. Mainly on sexuality, same-sex marriage, identity, sexual identity. Many denominations, many church leaders have shifted their tradition to align with today's progressive culture so we can be relevant. So we need grace because it causes pastoral concern for those who stand on traditional beliefs that we have to hold grace and truth in both hands because we have to love the people that struggle with these things in their lives so we can help them, not shun them. And so we have a challenge in our world, in our church for, Timothy says, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them great numbers of teachers, not just one or two, great numbers, denominations, people that were known 
for being amazing in the Christian circle now have swapped their convictions to compromise traditional beliefs, to say what their itching ears want to hear. And 1 John says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. There is a day, there is a day like never before that we have to have discernment in how we manage our faith, and that's why we have to get really rooted in the Scriptures. See, charisma is not going to cut it. You can get somebody that doesn't even know Jesus, get up here and copy a sermon, and you think, wow, that was amazing. And they may not even know God. It's got nothing to do with your communication skills. It's what you bring when you come to the table. And we have to be rooted in this. We have to be able to hear God in these days. We have to test the spirits. And so when Peter was spoken to by God, he was outside of the old covenant. And he spoke to him for a vision and the voice. So how do we know when God speaks to us? Because let me tell you something. Because what we need to know, and I think we, need, we can be mature enough to manage this. When we say God says, that's a big thing to say. And sometimes in church, we use that phrase very too easily without accountability. God's told me. God said. The Lord's told me. My question to you is, how do you know? How do you know? Because you better have a good answer. Because the thing is this. Number one, you might be absolutely right. And praise God for that. But number two, you might be absolutely wrong. Now, it doesn't make it said that you're a bad person or a false prophet. It's just that we've got to say that we, we've got to just be careful that we're not 100% sure all the time. We are not so close to knowing God that we will never get it wrong. And also, when we're managing prophetic gifts and people speaking into our lives and using the gifts of the Spirit, We've got to have discernment. Listen, the Bible says do not despise prophecy, but make sure you weigh it. Make sure there's two or three people that knows God enough to weigh what people saying over your life. I don't know how many Christians have been absolutely derailed through a prophecy that wasn't actually by the Holy Spirit. But also, on the other hand, I know so many Christians that's been encouraged, inspired, and helped them move into God's purpose through a word from the Lord, through a prophecy. So we have to manage hearing God's voice and manage it with humility by saying, I, I feel that this may be the Lord, but you can test it. See, it's only our job to deliver. It's not our job to live it out for that person because then you move out of control in their lives and you begin to play God in their lives. And so we have to have discernment. We have to begin to hear God's voice. So I'm going to just list four brief things that are just guidelines to help us to know, because I believe that in these days, in this room and online, God is going to speak to you. And he's not just going to speak to you about how you're doing, God bless you, I love you. Some of you in this room, God's going to interrupt your life and speak to you and change the course of your life. And by that, then you need to know that God is speaking to you. How will we know when God speaks to us? Well, if you look to the Scriptures, there's some things that's really easy. You don't need to discern it like, do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder, do not steal, do not lie. They're easy, aren't they? God's already spoken. Don't need to debate about those things. 
Come on. There's some things that's non-negotiable, so simple, yet God said it. But then there are times when the Peter encounter, surely not, Lord. I'm, I'm confused. How will we know? First step, would Jesus say it and would Jesus do it? See, what we, what we need to understand is that Jesus has the last word. Hebrews tells us that in the past that God spoke to us through our forefathers and through the prophets in many ways and various times. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. He's saying that Jesus, the final revelation of God's plan to earth, has the last word over our lives. Would Jesus do that? So Peter's thinking about Jesus' ministry now. He knows that all the Gentiles are unclean, the lepers, the, 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 the people that had infirmities, the people that were Gentiles and Samaritans, all outcasts. And then he thinks about who Jesus ministered to. He disregarded the religious in a sense and he went to those that everybody called unclean and he made them clean. And so Peter's thinking, hold on a minute, that's what Jesus did. He didn't do what the religious leaders did was expel the unclean, but he welcomed the unclean and he made them clean. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, I've missed it. How can I be with Jesus for three years? And the most people that he ministered to were Gentiles and heathens and people that we'd be disgusted with. Even when he was with a woman at the well, they said, what are you doing with a woman? And especially from Samaria. And especially that's had five broken marriages. And especially it's in a relationship right now and it's not her husband. How can you ask her for a drink? And the penny starts to drop in Peter's mind. Do you know what? Jesus modeled it. Jesus authenticated it. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. See, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, the Father will send in my name and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You know the bracelets, what would Jesus do? You know, it's dead simple, isn't it? When you're thinking about doing something in your life, ask a question, Jesus, what would you do in this situation? Would you do this, Lord? Would you authorize this, Jesus? And when you look through the pages of the New Testament and you see Jesus operating and his teaching was totally opposite to religious leaders of the day. And he says, you know something? He said, I tell you, you know, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, I'm going to take it up another level. If you look at somebody lustfully in your heart, you've already committed it. See, he endorsed that command and somebody stopped. And he said, you know what? I told you that when, you, when somebody upsets you, you know, eye for eye, to I tell you what you need to do is you need to pray for them, you need to buy them food, and you need to love them. That's what Jesus would do. And I just think if we can begin to live like that, Lord, what would you do in this situation? How would you respond to that? You know something, when people hurt you, and people deserve for you to have revenge on their lives, and you, and you can take them down, and just before you do, and you ask a question, Jesus, what would you do? 
And the very thing that will come to your mind is him hanging on a cross and saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what Jesus would do. And if we can begin to live what Jesus would do, then we won't go far wrong. But there's always an opportunity and a chance that we could get it wrong because we're human enough to get things wrong. But God's gracious enough to help us get it right. And so as we're adventuring to this new building, what would Jesus do? I've thought about this for a week because I'm, I'm not coming, I've never, we've never come to you as a leader and said, thus says the Lord, we're having this. But I never, we've never said that because even though there's a few signs, we just really don't know. All we know is that the light that we've walked into, that the door's not closed yet and it's still open. But what would Jesus do? And I used to, I used to thought this morning, Lord, what would you do? Would you put us in this kind of situation well, you're going to stretch us so much that the only person we can rely on is you. I mean, would you do that, Lord? You know that we're already worn out and tired and we haven't got enough staff. And you really think that we can actually take this step of faith and this building's big enough for such a crowd? Do you think we really can do it? Could this be you, Lord? And then the feeding the 5,000 jumps into mind. When they looked at the task and they only had a basket, they had a, a packed lunch. And they said, oh, can you send the crowd away? And Jesus said, nah, you're going to feed them. You're going you're gonna to get stretched. You're going to give me everything you've got in your reserve. And you're going to trust me. And you're going to feed this crowd. Now, I'm not saying it's 100%, but I'm saying, could this be Jesus? Could this be him leading us out of our comfort zone? into an area we only have to trust God like never before in the life of our church. Secondly, guideline, is somebody else saying what God's already told you? So just as, as God was speaking to Peter, he already spoken to Cornelius. He already spoken to this guy, get him ready for when he was going to speak to Peter so his will would be connected. So when you tell me that God spoke to you, who else has confirmed that? Who else can amen that God has said that to you? Because you know something, there is massively safety in the community. And that's why it's important for you because while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. <laughs> they called out asking Simon who was known as Peter was staying there. Is he staying there? Because God spoke to Cornelius, and do you know something? He said the exact same thing to me. Is there any confirmation that what you've heard from God, that somebody else, not the person that you're best friends with, that you've paid to confirm the word of God so it just honors what you want to do in your life? I'm talking about people that is probably not in your world, have spoken a word, and said, and you go, I can't believe that's what God's already told me. Or a sermon is preached and it's like, wow. Or you go somewhere and circle and you think, my goodness, God is speaking. And, and it's come. And what does my leadership, my people around me, am accountable to? What do they say about what God has told me? Because if you're not accountable, you're on the, on the road to have an accident. Because I've seen it 
too much in church life. When someone has said to us, well, God's told me and I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm thinking, I know God ain't told you. But there's nothing that we can do because God's told you. And who am I to say God hasn't told you? Because you've already told me that God has and you're not even open to ask our opinion. You're not even open to say, what do you think about that? And I tell you, there's been times where I don't even have to pray about it. I know they've had too much cheese. But then there's times when people's asked me, I'm going, wow, do you know what? I've been thinking about that for six months about your life. There's such energy and strength when somebody confirms God speaking. See, even the four Gospels from different people gave witness to the life of Jesus. And then when you look to the New Testament, it, says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, the leadership, and to us. Do you know the church is a safe place for you to grow? The people of God, people who love Jesus, who are growing, are there to help us to discern, do you know what? This could be the Lord. Who else is speaking it into your life? And so when we look to our next step, hopefully for this new building, who else is, speak, who else is amening the decisions that we made as a leadership and as a church? Who else is amening? So first of all, we submit it to our leaders in our movement, our management board, our regional leaders, our NLT, who have prayed and looked through everything that we're doing, looked at, uh, and then gone through their building management board and their people are on the ground, and all of them have said amen to say, come on, have a go. We're behind you. That's a good start. And then you've got your local church leadership who all say, also say amen. This will be a great for the church. And then it comes down to you. For, for those in this room that feel that this is your home, that this is your spiritual family, that you've made a decision to make this church where you're going to plant yourself and roll your sleeves up and help fulfill God's mission for this church, what are you saying? What are you saying about all the things that we're praying about, about the building, about what are you saying? Are you amen in it or are you not interested? Because I want to be honest with you that if we're going to see God move in this next, next season, it's great to have our leaders say amen. And it's great to have our leadership to say amen. But if our membership doesn't say amen, we're not going to accomplish much. Because this task is too big for a few people. You are, God needs to be speaking to you about your amen on this project and if you haven't got an amen and you just want to be a passenger, that's cool. But God wants more than that for you. He saved you for a purpose, not to just be a passenger on board. He wants to, to, for you to use everything that he's invested in your life so you can give it to him to serve, to honor his name. And so what are you saying? And then thirdly, what are the spiritual signs that's proving that God's involved in it? What are the signs? So number one, what would Jesus do? Is he, is he involved? Number two, what's others saying who are mature in the Lord? And number three, 
what are the signs that God could be involved in this? So I, as I mentioned on the first sermon, I talked about when, when God spoke to us about going to Bible college, and I said to Linda, go upstairs, and she came down and said, yeah, God's told us to go to Bible college. Then what? So then we walked in, into the church, doing some sweeping up for the pastor. The elder came out and said, oh, have you thought about going to Bible college? And that happened a few times with different pastors. Now, the other thing was, now they're great signs, but the biggest challenge was we needed money for the first year. And so we're praying. We believe God spoke to us. Some people didn't believe us, and that was all right, because not everybody will amen what God spoke to you and a few other people around your life who are significant enough to confirm the word of God over you. Not everybody's going to amen you, but the right people will. So we're... we're a week away now where we have to go. We went for the interview. We accept, we're accepted to Bible College. We needed £7,000 for the first year. That's back now 30 years. It's a lot of money. So Linda had a house, so she decided to put it on the market. And if we could sell that, there'd be enough probably for that six months to pay for Bible College. So we both gave up our jobs on this word and confirmation from our pastors that this was the right thing to do for us. But we needed £7,000 and we had a week to go. And then we had three days to go. So the house didn't sell, so we thought, well, we're not going to go, are we? It's not going to happen. And so three days to go, and then I think a few of our friends come around knocking on the door, trying to sympathize with us because they knew it wasn't going to happen. And so remember that day, I, I just said, oh, I just can't get this out of our... I have to go upstairs, I have to go in the attic. And I went up in the attic, and I, for the first time... I sat on the floor and I, I just said, God, you've got to speak to us again. And I just opened the Bible. You shouldn't really do this. And I looked in it and it says, Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is upon you. At that moment, a knock came on the door. So Linda shouted me down and I came down three days to go. House didn't sell. So in three days, we need £7,000 and what we're going to do with the house. Three days to go. I walked downstairs and one of the church elders came in to our room. This elder, when, I, when he first asked me about Bible college, I'd never went to school, never read a book until that time. I could read and write shortly. And he spent the next 12 months coming every week, taking me through the Old Testament and the New Testament until I passed the intermediate levels to go to Bible college. This is how faithful this man was. He walked into the room and he just, he said, oh, can I talk to you? He says, yeah. He said, well, the Lord spoke to us and he said, we've got to give you the money to go to Bible college. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, we're going to give you the 7,000 pounds to go. I went, really? I said, look, I'll tell you what, when we sell the house, we'll give you the money back. And so we made an agreement that I wouldn't, let him give me the money. I was going to give him back and we did that. So we've got that money. It's Wednesday now. We've got to be there for Friday. So Linda goes to the shop the next day and she walks into the shop and she meets a friend that she's never met for years. And a friend is starting to talk to her about her finding a house to rent and everywhere she's gone, it's fell through. Linda said, oh, we've got a house to rent. On that Friday that we packed our little car up with the kids on everything that we had belonged to our life. She brought her stuff to the house to rent it and we moved off to Bible college. 
signs follow. God's approval follows if he spoke to us. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to control. If God said it, he will do it. Yet you've got to take steps of faith. And so as I come to a close, where's the evidence that God's in this move for us? It's not 100%, guys. Because at the moment... We, we need the church to rise up. We need God to open the doors. And so at the moment, we've just finished last week the agreement that what needs to be done to the building and the cladding has been agreed, that they're going to give 90% towards that off the asking price. The agent has sent the email on Thursday to agree the heads of terms because a few things have changed. Once they agree next week, hopefully, to the heads of terms being signed, the next move is to the planning department for change of use. And we want to know what they're going to say. We're looking for God's hand to say yes or no, because them guys are the ones that will open the door or they will close it. We've come this far and we're just one or few, two steps away. But also, here's the thing. We said that because all the deposit that is needed for the mortgage, we empty our savings account. And we can pay back the loan on just our income, our tithes and offerings at the moment. But it's going to be a big step of faith. And we said, well, look, let's think of a figure that we can think about that we need for the first stage, not to try and put a burden on people because of the, of the, cli the climate or the financial season right now. How, what is it going to take for us to move in there just for the first phase to pay for everything because there's things unknown that we don't know in a big commercial building like this. And so we thought about a figure of 150000 If we could raise 150000 by the time that contract of exchange, then we'll probably just have, an, we'll have enough to pay all the, the fees because the fees, the professional fees, are 50000 on their own. We'll have enough to go. So what are the signs? So let me tell you up to date. 37 people have signed up to offer their skills. It's a good start. But there's over 500 people in this church. So we want you, if you're part of us, to think about how you can contribute. Some on that list has said offer to clean. Some as professional, you know, in different areas. So I'm asking you, you know, if, you know what are you saying about this next move? Because to me, sometimes I think, is this going to be too much of a burden for us to carry on our own? You have to be in this or not. And if you're not, that's cool. We've had a go. But I'm asking you, if you feel, do you know what? This is my church, and I want to offer whatever ability I am, then sign up on the website. And then when we come to our gifts towards the amount that we need to reach. Remember the first time I announced a few weeks ago that we had 25,000? Well, let me tell you, 98 people have given to the building fund and there's been 133 donations. So some of those people have given twice. And right now at this moment, there is £85,751.47 in the building fund. <clears throat> and all we've asked you to do is to ask God for him to speak to you of what he wants you 
to give. And it will be varied like these gifts. Some have given what they can, some have given bigger gifts to according to what they have. And when you look to the New Testament, some gave a lunchbox, some gave the last mite into the offering, some gave an alabaster jar, which is over 12 months' wages. Everybody's different, but if God speaks to you, then we need to respond to what he said of our lives for this next season. And so we are on the brink of possibly God opening this door to us, but I am not saying this is guaranteed stamped. It's not because I've got no faith. And it's not because I've got unbelief. I just want to make sure that God's in this. Because if he authorizes it, he'll take care of it. If we authorize it, we've got to take care of it. And nobody can manage that. And fourthly and finally, why don't you stand with me? How can I test if God's in it? It's very easy. The people of the law came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest command? Oh, he said, that's easy. I want you to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And secondly, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. If God ever speaks to you about your life and about his mission, it'll always honor him and it'll always be a means to help other people. Bottom line, it's not a selfish dream. It's not only going to benefit you. It goes beyond you. You are blessed to be a blessing. Love the Lord with all of your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. Final question, will this premises do that? Will it give honor to God and will it be a blessing to other people? We believe that it will be a blessing to generations to come. Your children and your grandchildren will be a part of a move of God if the Lord opens this door for us. And so for your own life, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? Who else is saying it? Number three, what are the signs following? And number four, who will it glorify? Who will it bless? And when you can get them four things, it could just possibly be the Lord. But as I said before, probably 97%. Give some room that you could get it wrong. But have confidence that God will help us get it right. So, um, this morning I woke up and I was quite unsure of what to preach about today because I've, I've got so much information. I've left half of the stuff out and it's probably good enough because I've preached too long. But I woke up this morning with um, an unusual, an unusual heaviness of anxiety. Unusual. Never experienced it like it before. So much so that I didn't want to come. I just felt fear. I just felt overwhelmed and I, I put some worship on I got up started to get ready Linda was going come on you're going to be late get up thank you Linda for your encouragement and I was just cleaning my teeth and I just felt the Lord saying Jason that feeling that I put upon you this morning is not just about your anxiety it's to help you identify that there are some people who have come to church today who's feeling the exact same thing 
and I want to release it from their life. I want to swap their anxiety for my peace. And if that is you today, I'm going to pray for you. Because the Lord wants to remove that burden of heaviness of anxiety upon you. That overwhelming thing, feeling like you're not going to be able to make it. And if you're in this room, if you're in the worship team, nobody discounts. If God is speaking to you today, I'm going to pray over you. And we're going to get this anxiety lifted because he's already told us, if you're anxious about anything, offer your request to God and the peace of God. Come on. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So would you hold your hands out? I'm not going to pick you out so everybody can see if you've come in here full of anxiousness today. You know, and you online too, you know if you've walked in church today and you just feel over, overwhelmed and not sure if you're going to be able to manage what's in front of you. Unusual kind of anxiety, one that restricts and and it immobilizes, it just sort of immobilizes you. And the Lord is going to release you today and you're going to leave with the peace of God, the peace of God over your heart and over your mind. Can you just begin to thank the Lord right now? Because that's one of the ingredients. Petition and prayer and thanksgiving makes an awesome cake. Come on, begin to thank him. Begin to thank him that he's going to trade what you brought in today. If you have carried fear today of uncertainty, if you've just, you're just being held down by unsure in your spirit, if fear has somehow overtaken you and it's sort of restricting your, your joy, and your freedom in fact some of you have given so much time to the anxiousness that it's robbed you of your thanksgiving to the one that can take away the anxiousness so Lord you know those in the room you know those in the room that need to let this go and so as you begin to thank the Lord right now, would you begin to offer him the anxiousness? Will you offer it him through prayer and petition? Begin to offer him that thing that is controlling you, consuming you, immobilizing you. Come on, just unload it, give it to him. Don't hold anything back. Give it all to him, hand it to him right now. If you're online in your room, hand it to him. You know if this is applicable to you. It's not for everybody in this room, but for particularly today, there's just an, an overwhelming sense of anxiety upon your life. Just a few more seconds for you to unload it to the Lord. Come on. Maybe it's about your health. Maybe it's about your family. Maybe it's about your future. Maybe it's about your job. Maybe it's finance. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's hold of you. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Come on. He's the one that can take you. I can't do it. This is where the supernatural involvement happens by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that will take it from you. He's the one that will put something else in place of that this morning. Father, we bring every kind of anxiety that's been brought to heaven right now. Lord, every kind of worry and concern and the things, Lord, that we've walked in church with, that we've been living with maybe for weeks, for months, Lord, for whatever it is, the hours, Lord, that we spent thinking about it, worrying about it, losing sleep about it, Lord, being ill about it. Father, we lift it to you right now. And we say, Lord, we ask, we put it into your hands. And we ask you right now, as we let it go, that you'd fill our hearts and you'll fill our minds with your peace. Lord, let everyone in this room that this is applicable to will leave with the peace of God. The peace of God over you. The peace of God in you. The peace of God. Lord, let it guard the hearts. When Paul was speaking about that, he's talking about a Roman garrison that surrounds a person to protect them from the enemy. Lord, would you surround our hearts with your peace and your presence? Holy Spirit, come touch our hearts and our mind this morning. Lord, let only release what only you can release. Your peace, Holy Spirit. Lord, the Prince of Peace, come, Lord. Lord, fill us right now with your presence and your promises. All God's people said, Amen. Come on.